0: Sporting Dog Adventures Run, boy, that was run. awesome. Everything you Good need boy, is here hair under the sun. Everything you need is here under the sun. The Sporting Dog Adventures Podcast is proudly brought to you by Saki Acres Retrievers. Whether you're looking for a black, yellow, or chocolate Labrador retriever puppy, please check out our website for more information at www. Soggyacres.com. You can also email Jeff at SportingDogTV at gmail.com or call 262-215-9683. And remember, everyone deserves a Soggy Dog. Hey, welcome to the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Fuller. And today we're going to talk about a topic that one of our fans on the Sporting Dog Adventures Facebook page had asked me to talk about. Now, by the question and the complexity and how he asked, I can tell the person he's either a trainer or trains dogs. But it was a great question and a great topic that we can dive into to really talk about training work and why it works with this particular method with dogs. Now, the topic is e-collars. E-collars get a bad rap. They are called shock collars. We have these connotations that they're terrible, they're mean. They're vicious to use. We're going to hit all those topics. The one thing that I always find humorous is I will have people that are against e-collars. They're like, you shouldn't use a shock collar on a dog. And then I find out that the same person has an electric fence that they're proudly putting their dog out in with the collar on. And I tell them, do you realize it is the same collar? To their dismay, they try to argue that it's not, but it is. It is a collar that is giving a small trickle of electric electric current that honestly, you pull away from if you put it on your own hand, but in the end, it, it really is not a high enough level where it's going to hurt you or a dog. And they then understand that yes, it's used as a modifying for behavior, a modification of behavior to teach boundaries for dogs. When, when you're using a knee collar, You can use it for not only boundaries, but to modify their behavior for all things and that's why it works so well. So let's get into that and just talk about e-collars as a whole. e-collars is a collar that is a remote training system where you are using a collar that straps around the dog's neck. It's usually got a size about that big that sits right there, you put it under their chin, you wanna make sure it's up toward the top of their chin because dogs are muscular and as their necks go up, they taper and you wanna have it tight enough where only about two fingers would fit under the collar. It's gonna feel like it's on really tight, but you wanna make sure that you get good probe contact because what'll happen is if you don't have the collar on tight and the probes are loose, you're gonna turn the collar up because you're gonna think the dog's not listening, maybe they're looking this way, now they look this way and both. Both of the probes are touching and you're giving the dog an unfair correction that is too high. So you want to make sure again that you have it on tightly, that you are form fitting it so two fingers fit under, and then you're going to work with your dog with the collar. You're going to start with finding what level the dog is at. You start at the lowest setting, you put the dog at a sit, you tell them, you you tell them nothing. You just push the button. When you hit the right setting, the dog will either jolt a little or they'll kind of look around it. Curious, like something's going on. That's where you start with the collar, where it's on that level. So now we're going to talk about doing collar conditioning in the part in the second part of our episode today, because this is actually week two in the obedience course that I'm taking everyone through. Several weeks ago, we did week one, which was teaching the, teaching the dog to sit and teaching them here and teaching them to kennel. Now we're gonna talk about how we introduce the collar and start doing something called collar conditioning. So we're gonna jump ahead to work with the collar in more of a general fashion. We're gonna talk about the collar where first we're gonna talk about positive reinforcement. We're gonna talk about negative reinforcement. We're gonna talk about the collar as a training tool for using for avoidance training. We're going to talk about using the collar with punishment how the collar can create anticipation and how we're getting the dog to work on their commands. And then finally, as I look at this, we're gonna talk about creating structure and being consistent and how long you need to really bear down and use the collar every time you have a refusal so that you get a dog to create it as habit. So let's talk about positive reinforcement. When you're training with your dog, you're gonna use a negative reinforcement and your negative on this is the collar but you have to use positive reinforcement. People struggle, especially men, with using positive reinforcement because they think, as guys, we think that we can just say, good dog. That actually sounds like you're very upset with your dog. We have to realize that you have to use a good voice inflection, good dog, good, and then it's about your body language. Arms crossed, standing upright, peering down at your dog, towering over your dog, is bad posture for the dog as far as their body language and how they're reading you you want to be bent over slightly at the waist arms out good dog yay pet the dog because then they're going to understand wow they really like what i'm doing dogs are bred with a willingness to please they want to please you so you're going to give that the sight that you're pleasing or that the dog is pleasing as a positive reinforcement When you're using your positive reinforcement, you want to basically hit that point where 10% is going to be your negative reinforcement, whether it's with your voice or with your e-collar, and 90% is going to be positive. You're going to accomplish this by having a dog sitting and repeating a command over and over. Sit. Good dog. "Sit." Sit. Good. Sit. Good. Again, the dog is already seated, but you're repeating the command over and over so you can positively reinforce the dog. That is where I want you to be. Then you're going to use it also when you walk at heel, when you do when when they walk at kennel, when they come to you. You're going to use that positive reinforcement of telling them they're good when they're giving them these commands. Give the commands over and over again. If they're coming to you, here, good dog, here, good dog, here, good. Kennel, good dog, kennel, good dog, kennel. And when they're in the kennel, kennel, good dog. Heel, good dog as you're walking. Heel, good dog, heel, good. Again, We're using this so that when we do use that negative reinforcement, it is not so often that the dog gets a bad training attitude or that the dog starts to look at it as a huge negative. It's going to give them in their mind that thought process that, okay, when I do this, he likes it or she likes it. When I do this, I get a negative reinforcement. They're going to start to modify their behavior to do the positive. That is what you want to do as far as training with your dog. Use a lot of positive. Again, your negative reinforcement. Now, this is where you're using the collar, and there's no better way to say it than it has to be uncomfortable for the dog when you use it. It has to be a negative. It has to be where the dog thinks, in their mind, that sucks. I don't want that to happen again. Look at it as almost the same as training a uh, when you have a kid, you have a, a young toddler they're reaching for a hot stove. When I was a kid, they would slap my hand, then I would pull my hand away, and it hurt. But I knew that it was danger. I knew not to go and grab the hot stove, and it was enough where I pulled my hand away because it was discomfort. It wasn't abuse. It wasn't done so that it broke my hand. It was done at a level that was high enough where it was like, oh yeah, ow. You're gonna do that with the dog. You want it to be where that e-collar correction makes the dog feel some discomfort. I know we don't want to hurt our dogs, but in the long run, you're going to use this and we'll explain this, why you're going to use it, because it's going to be better for the dog, it's going to give them structure, it's going to keep them safe. You're going to use it so that's a negative reinforcement, but again, not multiple times over and over putting them in a position where you're going to use this negative reinforcement. We want to have it where you're given a ton of positive as well. You're modifying their behavior, you're taking them to the where they're choosing where it's fun and they're getting a lot of positive from you and that they know they don't wanna get that negative, that is discomfort. Then you are gonna start to use it where you're working with them in a training atmosphere, you're walking, you're sitting them, you're calling them to you. Start out where there's not a lot of diversions, not a lot of excitement around you. So that's just you and your dog as you're working with them and you'll get them so that they work in a great manner with you, and you can slightly up the level of excitement. When I send dogs home after they do go through our obedience course, I always tell people, start out in your yard, eventually walk down the street, start talking to neighbors while you're taking your dog out on a walk, and you can work up to the point where you are at a park or taking the dog for a walk in town. But we don't want to put the dog in a position where they're going to fail immediately. We want to take them have them be in a position where they can succeed so that we can heap that positive praise on them. Now there is a time when you use it for punishment and I'm going to explain the difference, but a punishment would be if a dog jumps up, dogs should not jump up on people when they're standing. I know it's very common. I know some people think that it's okay, but you have to realize your dog could jump up on someone that is old or infirm and it could hurt them a lot. The last thing you want is for your dog to jump up and, knock someone over, and they break a hip and they pass away. It would be something that would bother you for the rest of your life. You want to make sure that the dog understands, I do not jump on people. That is where you would have the collar. And if the dog jumps up, you would immediately yell no or down and push the button. You want to always make your correction simultaneous with the command. And on this, it would be a punishment where you're stopping them from jumping up The other time that I tell people that it is a good use is if a dog is counter surfing or grabbing things. We don't want dogs grabbing food or other items off a counter. We once had our dogs where they grabbed a bottle of medication and ate it, It cost us $10,000 because it was medication a dog cannot have. So we'd have their stomachs pumped and have them in an ICU and then a hospital for a couple of days. You want to make sure that they're safe. So again, if there is something on the counter, and the dog is going over, you can put it on on them in the house, and you ever see them to the point where they're going to counter surf, when they jump up, it's no or down. Give these commands, this is the time when you use it for punishment. Now, why collars get a bad name? Because people do use them as punishment, but not in a constructive way. You will have people that don't go through the steps like we are gonna go through in our three week uh, training process, teaching people obedience where they will use it for punishment only. The example given is the dog is outside, it does not have a collar on. The dog's running around, it's not listening, you're calling the dog, here, the dog's not coming, takes you an hour to catch the dog. People will then get angry, they go in and they put that collar on the dog and they start correcting them. At that point, you're not correcting, you're punishing. You're not modifying behavior, you are making it where you are just punishing the dog. We have to get them to the point that they think that by coming to you, they are turning pressure off or avoiding pressure and that, and then they're coming to that positive reinforcement. And this comes down to anticipation. You want dogs to anticipate being corrected by not listening so that in their minds, they think if I listen really fast, I'm not going to get corrected at all. And this is why when you talk about e collars, they will all have a warning button on them where it vibrates the collar, and people will say, "You know what? It's great. I only use, I only have to use uh, the vibration, and the dog comes right in." I do not use this at all. I tell my clients not to use it at all because you are conditioning your dog to listen the second or third time, depending on how many warnings you're giving them. Some people feel good about that. They think, "You know what? But I want my dog to." be warned. I don't want to correct them. I totally understand that. But what I explain to my clients when they take their dogs home is the last thing you want is a dog that thinks they get two or three times until they have to listen and then have your dog running to the road after a bunny rabbit with a truck driving by at 70 miles an hour. You want the dog that thinks every time I don't listen, I get immediately corrected because when you yell here, you do not want the dog to continue. If you have a dog that's being conditioned to think that they get a freebie or a warning, that dog nine times out of 10 will run on the road and you're gonna have a catastrophe in your hands. Again, don't think of it as you are doing anything bad for your dog. You're giving them structure, you're putting them in a position to succeed and are using positive reinforcement to steer them to the correct direction that you want them to go. Now, when it comes down to it, sorry, I gotta keep reading. Uh, Consistency. When I have clients that take dogs home, I tell them, have the collar on as often as you can, especially when outside, sometimes in the house, and make sure when you are giving commands, if the dog does not listen, you are correcting them every time. Telling them in the first week, you're gonna have to use the collar a lot, but if you do in the future, you won't have to use the collar a lot. Again, being where when a dog goes home, or a dog goes back in an atmosphere where they think that they get multiple chances and they kind of think they kind of run the house, they will go back to that and they'll have that thought process in their head and continue with it. They think, you know what, I don't really have to listen. But if you make them listen every time, within a week or two, all of a sudden you've got this dog with a snappy response. They're anticipating that you are going to correct them. And they're also loving the fact that you're given a positive reinforcement. If you do this for, they say with humans, it's about if you do something for 30 days, it becomes habit. I would say with dogs, it's about six to eight weeks. So once you're through your three weeks of working on your obedience and introducing your dog to a collar, give it about six to eight more weeks where you have that collar on all the time so that you are making sure that the dog gets no quarter. The dog is always being corrected. You're going to have a different dog when you get done doing it. And then the last thing I tell people is that if you get to the point where something's gonna be very exciting, make sure you have the collar on, especially with hunting dogs. There is a level of excitement because of these dogs, if they're well bred, they just have an insatiable drive to do it. They're gonna do things that basically break, uh, break the rules. You wanna be able to correct it so they understand, I have to do it at all times, period. Whether that's walking in a park with a lot of people around or out in the pheasant field, or in the duck blind, you want to make sure that they understand what the rules are. So that's it for this part of the show. Next up, we're going to talk about week two of our obedience program. All that and more coming up after this. If you love the shooting sports like I do, you need to check out our friends at Mac Outdoors. They have fantastic products, whether you're looking at shot shell or metallic reloading, or you want to get yourself a clay thrower so you can practice up for the season. For more information, check out their website at MacOutdoors.com. It's Jeff Fuller from the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast, and I need a little help please stop what you're doing and give us a five-star rating. Follow us on the platform you're on, give us a thumbs up and above all, share our podcast with your friends and family. Our podcast will grow even more and we can get more people involved in the sport we love with dogs in the field. Hey, welcome back to the show. So we talked about e-collars, why to use them, how they work and why they work. Now, I wanted to talk to you about week two of our training program. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about week one where we work with the dogs on commands. We use a prong collar. and We get them so they understand what their commands are. When you start week two, you have to make sure that the dogs know what the commands are. We don't just put a collar on for punishment and then teach with the collar. We make sure they understand the commands and then we transition it to using the collar in week two. How to use a collar? The number one mistake everyone makes is they put a collar on and start using it to reinforce. Don't do that. If the dog has never had a collar on, you need to do something called collar conditioning. Collar conditioning is teaching the dog anticipation. They're anticipating the fact that they know they're going to get corrected if they don't do a command quickly. We start this with the sit command, where every third time when you say sit, you push the button on the collar. What you'll notice after a day or two of this is the dog will start walking, almost dragging their butt because they want to sit quickly because they're gonna beat that correction. Then you then transition that to working with the here command, where you're calling the dog toward you. Now with this, you're gonna put them on a sit, make it a remote sit, which is the dog sitting away from you, have a longer leash on you. And when you say here, if you're gonna use the collar or not, pull the dog toward you. You wanna teach them again, that they're gonna anticipate their anticipation of not coming to you, Will create a correction so that you're pulling them to you so that they think if I run toward him toward him quickly. I'm not going to get corrected with the collar. Again, every third time you're then going to work on the kennel command where you sit the dog and tell them kennel so that they're going away from you into the kennel and that they are then. hurrying to go into the kennel because every third time when you say kennel you're going to correct them. Now it's not necessarily, that, w- that would be wrong to say, correct them, you're just going to use the collar and you're going to uh, use it for part of the conditioning. So you're, you're, you're simulating a correction, creating anticipation. After a week of your collar conditioning, working on the sit, the here, and the kennel command, you're now gonna start working with the dog where they have a leash on. What I do is I will actually in week three, I'll drop the lead and I'll start using it for reinforcement. We're going to talk about week three and how we use the collar and get to the point where we have the dog off lead and work with them on their commands. Again, here, sit, kennel, and heal. And by ne- the end of next week, we're going to have our dog off lead and obedient. So that's it for this part of the show. Next up, we're going to talk about why you only take dogs out when they're trained and especially trained with an e collar All that more coming up. Welcome to Boucher in Janesville, where customer service is our number one priority. Our customers come back to us because of the experience that we provide for them. We're here to make sure that we find you the right car, one that fits your budget, and do so in a timely manner. When we say we ride with you every mile, it means we care about you and how you are treated. Our certified technicians are here to help you with all your service needs. Visit us today at Boucher.com. At Boucher, we ride with you every mile. Hey, welcome back to the show. So now I wanted to talk to you about why when you have a hunting dog, you use an e-collar and they're training and you have to have this done before they hit the field. It's a misnomer to say that we're going to train a dog to hunt and then take them out and work with them on birds. Hunting and hunting for you as a teammate starts with control. Control off lead starts with an e-collar. You want to make sure that these dogs are safe. I will have people that will say, ah, you don't really need an e-collar. Those are the same people, 90% of them, that They have the same name for their dog. Damn it. Damn it, come here. Damn it, come over here. Damn it. Over and over and over, they'll repeat swear words because they're upset at the dog when in essence, they should be upset at themselves. I had a dog once where we were filming where their dog was in my decoys. They were about a quarter mile from us and they didn't have a problem with it. The dog would just run around the marsh. Well, we shot some birds and the dog would not leave our decoys. So the birds were flaring. I then walked over and I'm standing in their decoys. And they're like, what the hell are you doing, dude? We got birds all over the place. And I know, so do we, but your dog's in my decoys. Control your animal. They weren't real happy about it. But in the end, it's their responsibility. Their dog was not safe because if we had birds come in and didn't see their dog, we would have shot towards those birds and we could have hit their dog. This is what you need to think about when I talk about safety in the first part of the show and safety in general and hunting. Dogs need to be out of control or dogs need not be out of control because that is when you're putting them in front of gunfire. We have to make sure that they're obedient, that you're a handler and you're making sure they're under control and so that they only leave when they're commanded to leave or they stay in range. Upland dogs as well. I've hunted with people that run after their dogs in the field. Yes, run. They will jog behind them because the dog is on a bird. You have a gun in your hand. Your dog is not safe now, neither are the people you're hunting with. You need to have your dog under control where you can correct them, either giving them a one whistle sit in an upland situation or a waterfowl situation so they're stationary, or calling them back to you and having them do a good recall because they know they have no option. We have to make sure that dogs don't bolt in front of the guns or don't run over the hill and kill our hunt and run into someone else's field and put themselves in a position where they either run away. They get shot, or in the least bit, they ruin your hunt. That is why you have to have your dogs trained. Have them under control. Remember, the first six weeks of your training for a hunting dog are all control. You're not working in the field if you're doing it right, because you're working on their obedience, their mouth control, and their e collar work. Once you have them under control, that's when it's fun for you and the dog, because now you get to go out in the field and start working as a team. Also, remember, you are a teammate not a hunter. You're a handler, not a hunter. That comes first. You have that responsibility to your dog and you're going to have a lot better time in the field. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. We really appreciate everyone listening to our show. We have one of the most popular dog-related podcasts on the web and it is because of you. Please, if you want to give us some ideas on stuff you want to hear, email me at sportingdogtv at gmail.com Or go on our Facebook page. We're Sporting Dog Adventures TV on Facebook. We are Soggy Acres on Facebook. We've got a YouTube channel. We're on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor app. So many different places you can find our show. We love putting out content for you to listen to. Everyone have a great week. God bless. Sporting Dog Adventures. Run, boy, run Everything you need is here under the sun